Hi, I'm Bill Allred, and this is the Let's Go Eat Show. 94-year-old jazz saxophone man Joe McQueen wants to set the record straight. He didn't settle in Ogden, Utah in 1945 on accident or because he was stranded there or because he was broke. That story is a damn lie, and the people who tell that story are damned liars. Joe wasn't broke. He had 300 bucks in his pocket from playing the slots in Reno. That ain't broke. But it is true that he got thrown in jail, and it is true that he might be packing a gun. A man's got a right to protect himself. But Ogden, Utah is lucky that Joe McQueen made the decision to stay in Ogden in 1945 and to play his saxophone with some of the greatest jazz musicians of all time, and in so doing, become a pretty damn good saxophone player himself. Ogden of 1945 and through the 1950s is nothing like the uneventful town it is today. And over the next hour or so of the Let's Go Eat show, Joe McQueen will bring that Ogden to life. Oh, I know I'll get some of you arguing with me about how Ogden today has plenty of stuff going on. Well, listen to Joe tell it and then get back to me. Thanks to Penny Allred and James Daly at the Two-Bit Street Cafe in Ogden for feeding us. Thanks to Bad Brad Wheeler from Ogden and KRCL, who has known Joe for a long time, for coming along and helping out. Thanks to Rusty Sessions for some great photos. And thanks to Dylan Allred for producing the show. Oh, make sure you check out uh, the Slug Magazine podcast, Sound Waves from the Underground. Uh, their new show posted this week features an interview with yours truly and with Dylan. I'll also, keep an eye out for an upcoming issue of Revolve Magazine. It'll have a cover article about Joe McQueen written by me. Oh, oh, and one more thing. All of the music you'll hear in this week's episode of the Let's Go Eat Show is from an album that Joe McQueen recorded just last week. There's not a release date yet for the album, but it'll eventually be released in its entirety on isomike.com. That's isomike.com. Okay. All right, I think that covers it all, so let's get on with it, shall we? Here's Joe McQueen, and remember, if you're pouring the drinks, make mine a double. three fingers or four fingers. I'm farther back than that. I you told are. you my voice carries. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. It's good. It's smoky. <laughs> you got a, you got a smoky sounding voice. I don't of. know why because I don't smoke. I haven't smoked in 50, 60 years. How how old do you how old were you how old were you when you stopped smoking? 40 something. Uh, Joe McQueen 
Uh, we're in Ogden, and Joe McQueen is... How, you, you, when did you come to Ogden? 1945, exactly four years after Pearl Harbor, December the 7th. <clears throat> uh, why did you come to Ogden? Came to play music. What? I was supposed to play two weeks and go back to California, but I didn't go back, and I'm damn glad I didn't. Now, if that's going to make any difference by me saying, damn, you better stop now because I might say it again. No, you, 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 can say, you can say worse than that. Yeah, well, you, okay. you, you could put yeah. the Lord's name in front of it no, if you no, wanted no, to. No, 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 no. No, you don't, don't do that. Don't do that. You no, don't do well, that. No. I just left church a few minutes ago, believe it or not. Really? I go to church on Wednesday in the daytime. What church do you go to? I go to a, a Second Baptist Church down on, on 27th Street. Uh, and uh, so, so you were, to, you were touring uh, with a band when you came to Ogden? No, I wasn't touring. We left from California, a guy that ran a club over here right on 25th Street down here, and uh, sent for us to come up here and play for a couple of weeks. How many? What was the name of the band? Uh, I don't really remember. I know the guy that was in, in charge of the band, the guy's name was T. Holder. He was an older guy, and he uh, he used to play with Andy Kirk and some other. He was a trumpet player. Mm-hmm. And you were a, a sax player? I, I, I was been a saxophone player all the time, still am. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so, so you came to Ogden to play at, the club, at a club. Yeah. Uh, do you remember the name of the club? If you let me think a minute, I can think of the name. It was right down on on the on the lower end of 25th, right down here. It uh, was. Uh, let me see. Oh, I'm gonna have to think of that later. I can't remember. Man, I played in so many clubs since I've been here. It's hard to remember what the name of that club was. But I. Uh, there was you and a and a trumpet player and who else? A piano player and a drummer. Yeah, and so you come to Ogden and uh, what? So, were you dri- driving? Oh, we came on the bus. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, was it a good gig? How much money you get paid for oh, doing well, that yeah, kind of we stuff? Oh, well, we were playing. At that time, you didn't make a lot of money. I don't care what gig you played, you know. But we were playing. We were, we were making more than we, than the people who would have been here, the regular players would have made at that time, you know. Because they sent them, we had to come all the way from California. We came from San Jose. And... uh I don't. I don't remember exactly what kind of money we were making, but it wasn't that that much because nobody was making that much money back then. How old were you back in in? 25? I was twenty six exactly when I came here. And you you were married, right? I'm Where still were... married to the same lady. We just celebrated our sixty ninth anniversary on the tenth of June. Where? And your wife's name is what? Thelma. Where? And where was she? She was with me. She uh, uh, she came here with me. No, but she so she was tour with the with the band. She wasn't touring with the band. She was touring with me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just keeping you company while you well, guys were playing. Well, I mean, she, well, my wife was just with me. I was I wasn't going to leave her in California, and I came up here to play. Mm-hmm. So I brought my wife with me. I took her wherever I went at that time. And why? And so how? Why did you end up staying here in Ogden? Well, in the first place, this guy that, that came, we came up here with, Jimmy, the, the drummer and I got into a, a, a fight and, and, and we were in jail and the guy got paid for playing and he didn't pay anybody. So, and he didn't pay anybody. And when I got out of jail, when we got out of jail, uh, he knew that I was a pretty rough guy. And so he took off because he knew I was going to kick his rear end if I didn't get my money. So... After that, I, t- I took the band over, and I've been more or less in charge of a band ever since. So, so you and Jimmy 
uh, get into a fight like in you about know, some money in, that's in, right. in in the club. Yeah, and uh, the cops come. Yeah, the cops came and they took us to jail because he had a knife and I had a gun. You was pa- you were yeah packing? I was packing. Damn right, I pack now. Really? Yeah. Well, if I feel like it. Well, okay. I'll, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to. I'm not going to harm anybody if I don't have to. But I'm gonna protect myself. You know, I was. Uh, I was showing you due respect because of your age and your reputation. My age don't have a damn thing to do with me protecting myself. Well, 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 <laughs> well, well, well now I'm sitting back and showing you a little added. <laughs> Thank you. A little added. <laughs> Protection, a little added respect, because yeah. you, you may be packing. No. <laughs> no, I'm not packing right now. Okay, uh, and so the the cops uh, uh, haul you off to jail, and was it up there where it yeah, is? Yeah, right, right up, up there. there at the yeah. municipal building. It's not the one that they got now. This is a new jail. It was that one of them. We were clear up on the top floor up there. Yeah. That jail so, up there. It was the same building. And we were yeah. there for 18 days. We got 30 days apiece, but uh, we were there for 18 days because we washed that whole damn building down up there while we were there. You know, when you work, they give you some good time for working. You know. Well, is that the first time? Was that the first time you ever been in jail? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. And it's the last time. I don't be playing that going to jail business. I don't like that what stuff. Was it, God, what was that like? It wasn't good. I tell you that. You know. How they? How they? Uh, you, uh, you're you're a, a black man. Was uh, Jimmy a black man too? Yes. A couple of black guys yeah. in Ogden. Yeah. And the Ogden cops are uh, some some white guys, and yeah. they come again. How'd they yeah. treat you? Well, they didn't do too much to us. They just took us to jail. Now, I'm going to tell you what. Mm-hmm. There wasn't the white guys that took us to jail. There was two black guys, black police. They had some black police oh, here. Oh, really? Then. Yeah. Yeah. Marshall White was one of them, and Mar- another, another guy named Walter Epps. Uh, so Marshall White was one of the guys who yeah, took it. Now, Marshall. see, I, I was born in Ogden. I know Ogden. Uh, yeah, but uh, you didn't know Marshall White. I didn't know him because he was dead, I well, think. Well, Marshall White was a good friend of mine. As a matter of fact, he's the one the reason why I can take a thirty-eight right now and I can hit a guy between the eyes here across the street. Tell people about Marshall White because I know who he was, but you well, tell people about Well, he was a cop, him. but beside that, he was a damn good foot doctor. He worked on my feet for me, and my feet felt better after that than they'd felt in years. And I tried my best to get him to go and open up a place to work on feet rather than being a cop. But no, he decided he wanted to be a police, and that's the reason why he did today. So you mm. met you met Marshall White when he arrested I met you. him in Salt Lake City before, no. he, before he came to Ogden. Salt, Marshall White was in Salt Lake before he came to Ogden. Uh, but he, so he arrested, he was one of the cops? Yeah, and, but he, he and, uh, and the ups, they took us to jail, but then they, they, they didn't treat us bad, you yeah. know, for uh, those things. And, I didn't like the food up there. That's one thing. They didn't give you food worth a damn. So tell people, tell people a little bit more about Marshall White, though, about uh, what happened to him. Well, he got killed. A young kid was had uh, broken out from state industrial school and was down in somebody's basement, and it was during the time when people had uh, were going on these deer hunts and things, and he got one of those deer rifles. When Marshall White went down those steps, he shot him in the stomach with one of those deer rifles, mm-hmm. and he lived about three days and died from it. Shot in the line of duty, yeah, and uh, yeah. uh, he there. There's a, um, a place here in Ogden called the Marshall Marshall White Center. Yes, uh, named, they named that after him. Named after him, and yeah. a lot of people just know the name of that place, and they don't really know anything. Well, they named it after him because, and I'm going to tell you something else that happened. Yeah, they had his funeral up there in the temple. They didn't know a lot of people didn't know that either. Up in the LDS. Uh, yeah, they temple. had it up there in the LDS temples where they had his funeral. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's something else a lot of people don't know. So you get out of jail, 
1945. Yeah, and come you, on. And, and uh, most, I think most people would have hightailed it out of town at that point. But you decided. Well, the, the thing about it was, when I first came here, I could have kicked their, got those guys rear in for bringing me here because it was two feet of snow, and I had never seen that much snow in my whole life. Because mm. I was born in Texas and raised in Oklahoma, and I, I, most of the traveling I had done playing with bands had been back in Kansas and Missouri and, and all back down south and back east. I mm -hmm. had never seen that much snow in my life, and it was two feet of snow when we got off that bus station up there, and boy, I was really pissed off. My wife and I didn't have any... <laughs> We didn't have any uh, winter clothes, anything, so. Get back on uh, the bus. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, no, we didn't get back on the bus because we were here and we had to stay here to play the gig, you know. We came here to play a gig, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, uh, so so uh, you get out of jail. I, did you not go back, go, leave town because you didn't have any money? Oh, hell, we had money. I had money when I came here. That's what I tell people. It pisses me off when people say we were stranded. Hell, you ain't stranded when you got money. So why'd you stay? Well, my wife and I decided we'd see what it was like, and so I, I organized a group and got a band going here in Alton, and like I say, I've told a lot of people, I'm damn glad I stayed. If I hadn't, I wouldn't have met guys like him and you and other guys, you know. I've, I've made I made out damn good in Alton. I haven't had any problems, you know. People but it pisses me off when people keep on saying, you were stranded. You're not stranded when you got a pocket full of damn money. Yeah. And I had money. You, I didn't have a, a few pennies. I had money. Because I had made some pretty good money in California. On my way here, I was stopped in Reno, and I won $380 on a slot machine and in Reno. We stopped in Sacramento. It was a guy I had taken to a place in, in Oklahoma called We Woke Up to Bury His Mother. And he saw me and remembered me, and he took my wife and I, well, he had his girlfriend to take my wife and I to his apartment that night because our bus didn't leave till the next day. So the next day when the, the, the uh, cab driver took us back to the bus station, I didn't see that guy anymore, but the cab driver gave me an envelope Say, hey, this guy told me to give you this envelope. When I opened it, it was 100 bucks in there. Let me tell you something, back in 1943, 45 and all back there, if you had more than three or four or five hundred in your pocket, you weren't a hell of a long ways from being broke. Because mm. you could do a lot of money with a hundred bucks back then. You weren't stranded. Not worth a damn was I stranded, and I hate for people to keep saying that shit. Excuse me. That's okay. That I was you stranded. Were you were fine. Because I was not stranded. You made the decision, I'm going to make Ogden that, my what, home. Well, I didn't really make that decision then. I talked to my wife, and we said we'd stick around and see what happened. Well, there was a there. So there was a, something about the place you kind of liked. I didn't care too much about it during the winter, <laughs> but when summertime came, and I got to going up to up to Pine View and swimming and fishing and all that kind of stuff, and then something else that got my attention. Yeah, I would see people laying out in the yard sleeping. In the summertime, I said, God almighty, they wouldn't dare do that in California, you know. Sleep in the yard. Yeah, Safe. out in the summertime. You know, just out in the yard sleeping in the summertime. I said, good night almighty. They wouldn't, they wouldn't dare do that in California. Seemed like mm -hmm. a safe place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Brad, you want to? Well, I was going to say, eventually, you came about meeting Annabelle. And eventually things kind of who's, who's settled in for you here. Am I right? Is that what yeah, happened? Or yeah, is that but not here's, what the, here's the thing about Annabelle, what a lot of people don't know. They said some people told a lie. I came here to play in the Porters and Waiters Club. 
Porters and Waiters Club was right across the street there. The club at first was just a place for railroad men to go and have a place to take a bath and, and stay overnight while they're waiting to catch the train out the next day. Now, I, well, I, I remember that place when uh, the, the building was, I remember the building still there, and right. it was for the, for the black no, uh, no, 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 no. At first, at first, that's the way it was. Yeah. But then Annabelle opened a restaurant, and when they say about me playing in the Porters and Waiters, when I first came here, the Porters and Waiters Club, where you played, it didn't even exist. The building was there downstairs, but what happened was, Annabelle had a restaurant over there upstairs. Mm. And she asked me and another guy to go downstairs and get her some chairs because she was having some kind of uh, dinner or something for some people. Mm -hmm. So I went downstairs and I saw this place down there, all this room down there, and I said, God, all they had was a bunch of junk down there. And I called Annabelle and I told her, I said, come down here. And I tell a lot of people, she said, Joe, I'm, so, I'm busy. I, what, what, what? I said, come down here, I want to show you something. She came down there and I said, what in the world are you doing all this room down here and you could make a club in here? And I said, you just letting up here. And I said, now when Annabelle and Billy Weekly got married, we played for their reception and we played in a place down, farther down 25th Street called the Gay Southwestern Club. Mm -hmm. And that was in 1947. Sometime my nieces and things asked me about how I can remember dates. I can remember dates a lot better than I can names. But we played for their, for their reception at the Gay Southwestern Club, and that was in 1947. So I came here in 1945, so I couldn't have played in that place. I came here to play in that place when it wasn't, a, it wasn't even a club then. Mm -hmm. But now they had some bathrooms, because when people would come upstairs down there to the restaurant, they'd have to come down the front and go down the stairs to the bathroom, because they couldn't go in the back while all those guys were back there in the back. Segregated bathrooms? Huh? Seg segregated bathrooms? Is no, that what it was? I'm not saying segregated no. bathrooms. No, they, were, they weren't segregated. But listen here. Here's some women that's going to come up here. And, and Annabelle never did want her places, place to be segregated, segregated and it wasn't. Mm. So those ladies and things weren't going back there because the guys back in the back. And then on top of that, I can tell it now because it don't matter. They were gambling back there. Yeah. And so they had... They had bathrooms downstairs and down there close to the place where the club was. So and I told her, I said, you guys already got bathrooms. So when I told her that, she said, well, why don't you tell Billy? And I used to drive Billy all the time. I drove him practically every day somewhere because he liked me to drive me to drink. <laughs> and I was driving Billy and I told him, I said, Billy, I said, man, it's a downstairs down there how come you guys don't make a club down and everything he said did you tell annabelle i said i did i told her and she told me to tell you <laughs> and so he said well when we get back let's go down there i want to see what you're talking about so i took billy downstairs and he looked at it he said god this is pretty i didn't realize this was all this space down here we could do that you know so we went on and they in three weeks time they had that stuff all cleaned out of there start painting and everything and put a bar down there and all that stuff and within a month's time, we were playing down there. Had a swinging club down there, huh? Yes, sir. There was a lot of people came down there. What kind um, of crowds would you get there? Everybody. Like I told them, I told people that I will not play in a place where everybody can't come. That's the first time I ever heard that statement. I'm free, white, and 21, and you can't tell me what the hell to do. That's what a couple of young white guys told those cops. 
cops came down there, they were going to break it up because whites, black, Mexican, Indian, everybody was down there, the porters and waiters. Mm-hmm. Here come the police down there. Police came down there, and the young white guy told them, I'm free white and 21, you can't tell me what to do. Standing right in the cop's face, and here comes another one, here comes some more, and man, they just damn near ran the cops out and down there. Really? I'm telling yeah. you. And the cops got their ass out and down, and they didn't come back no more either. <laughs> really. You know, it's... And it, that's what really started the breaking down all that prejudice stuff here in the state of Utah. A lot of people don't know that. And, I, and now, I was playing at a place out in Roy, and some of my friends came out there, and that guy told me they had to get out and told me to tell them. I said, I'm not telling them nothing. You want to tell them, you tell them. And then I told the people, I said, when this place, when, this, when we threw playing, at that time, I had a mixed band. I had some white guys playing with me and, uh, and, and myself and another, my piano player was another black guy. And uh, so when I told them that day, I said, we will not be back here ever again so you can look and find out where we will be. And when I came and told Annabelle, Annabelle gave me a key to downstairs because the club was already there then. Mm-hmm. So Annabelle gave me a key. She said, well, you go down there and play any time you want to. But just let me know when you're going to play so I can prepare for it upstairs mm-hmm. with a restaurant. And I did that, and I started playing one, two, three, and pretty soon I was playing every night in the week down there. So you went back down to the to the Porters and Waiters basement bar? Yeah, well, that's, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I'd play there every now and then, then, but I was playing other clubs around town. Tell, and, me, uh, how many gigs you had. Tell me how many gigs you had a week. <laughs> Tell them how many uh, you had. Eight. I had six six days a week and two jam sessions on Sunday let me let me let me ask you this Joe McQueen uh, uh, let me uh, we, we get a kind of a general idea and I uh, when I grew up in Ogden uh, Ogden was still a pretty happening place but people don't really know people who live in Ogden today don't know what it was like in 1945 and 1946 and 7 and 8 and 9 and even into the 50s Ogden really there was right I was born in Ogden in the 80s and grew up in Ogden in the 90s and there was there was stuff going on there was there was famous people coming through this town and there was a lot happening and it, it was a it was a town that was moving and shaking and and there was uh, there was great music and great stuff going on and it, everything happening wasn't there i mean it was a bustling town yeah it was a lot of things going on here you know and like i said when i first came here there was nobody playing jazz music here shorty ross didn't want us to stay here. And he came down to the place where we were playing. And uh, and he came in there and told this guy that we we couldn't play in there. And this guy was about my size or maybe about Brad's size. And he told Shorty Ross, if you don't get out of here, I can't say what he told him, but he, he got in behind him pretty rough. This is my club. You can't come in here and tell me what the hell to do in my club. I sent all the way from California to get these musicians. Going to tell me they can't come. You get your so and so out of here, and I mean right now. And he scared the hell out of Shorty Ross. But in the meantime, I had sent Patrillo, that was the head of the music uh, music back back east. You had to have when I when I was playing in California, you had 
you had uh, be in the union. Mm -hmm. You had union cards. If you're going in another district, you had transfers and all that stuff. We had all those things were all in order because we were in the union back in California. We got up here, and then he, he didn't even want to recognize our union cards or anything else. But anyway, after I went up there, and uh, so Petrillo called and told me to tell the sheriff what was happening. And so the sheriff said, well, you go ahead and do whatever you're supposed to do. He said, you got everything in order, so you go ahead and play. So then we started playing all over the place, you know, and uh, that was that was that was some of the things when what happened when I first came to Ogden, you know. Let's take a break so you can eat some food, uh, and we'll take a break, and uh, we can play a little music that, yeah, uh, right. we'll, we'll um, play a little Joe McQueen music. Well, <laughs> which you won't. We'll get a CD with your music on it, and we're going to play it here. Uh, and you eat some food, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some of the people you played with over the years and, and that kind of stuff here on the Let's Go Eat show. the ones who uh, are, I think, now still in prison. Yeah. Well, I didn't know those names. I didn't know those names. I didn't know any of them names. All I knew, the one guy that would, would ran, used to run the Kokomo, what was that guy's name run the Kokomo? Eddie Simone. Simone, Eddie. Mm -hmm. yeah. I knew him. Yeah. I he's, knew him. He's still around. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's let's get back uh, talking with uh, Joe McQueen. Okay. Here on the Let's Go Eat show. Uh, did, yeah. did you enjoy your... Very much, very much so. I knew I would when uh, when I came down here. Uh, two it's not the first time I've eaten here. Yeah, <laughs> Two Bit Street Cafe and my sister uh, Penny. That's my sister Penny. Yeah, I know you just told me that. You she know, so. uh, made you. What she make you? Philly cheesesteak? Yeah, very good. Yep. Very good. Uh, <laughs> so we're we're talking about we're talking about the old days in Ogden and uh, Ogden was a in 1940s and 50s was uh it was a it was a it was a booming place a happening place could be a dangerous place on 25th very Street. very much so could be a day you, yeah. you you said earlier you used to pack and yeah. you yeah. you knew and you, because shit happened well listen here during that time 
When I first came here, World War II was just over. See, World War II was over in August, and I came here in December. There were still soldiers, sailors, Marines, and everybody else going and coming, and the trains would be just loaded with those people all the time. They'd come up and down 25th Street. I met a guy that was an MP that was from Dallas that I knew. They called him Blackout. He wasn't but about that tall, but he was the meanest little black son of a gun you ever seen in your life. <laughs> Blackout. And, and all, all those soldiers and things, they knew not to mess with him because, boy, he would crack your head wide open one of them clubs in a minute. And he was about, I guess he was about 250 pounds, and he couldn't have been, he couldn't have been much over 5'10". And he was a mass, he was a mad, angry devil. That's mm. what he was. He was, a, and he was mean as he could be, you mm. know. Mm. And when you call, when, you, when they call for MPs to come down and stop some stuff, and they saw blackout, the stuff was out. It was over then because yeah. they knew what he would do. He just started in breaking, cracking heads, and I mean, he didn't mess, didn't make him no different, mm -hmm. boy. And he had two or three other guys with him, were just about as crazy, and. uh but 25th Street had soldiers, sailors, Marines, uh, all the different kinds of people of, you, you name it. Any nationality you want to see was on 25th Street. And they were all looking for, they were all looking for good time. Oh, well, they looking, all, yeah. Looking they were, for, they were yeah. looking for uh, 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 booze. Yeah. They were looking for women. Yeah. Gambling. That's for sure. That's sure. That, all that stuff was happening here on 25th Street. Looking for music. Everything you everything you wanted was here on 25th Street. They were looking for music. Yeah. Uh, they were, was, yeah. yeah. And you you were playing music. Yeah. yeah. What, what Brad? I'm just thinking about this time. Joe told me one time, anything you wanted, you could get on 25th Street. Do you, you remember could. that saying you yeah. used to say about a giraffe? Yeah. Do you remember that? What? Do you remember how you would say? I just remember Joe telling me, if you wanted a giraffe... You could tell a guy, I want to draft. He'd tell you when and how much. That's what 25th Street was like. Whatever you wanted, you could get. If you had the money. If you just got to pay. If you come up with that. And I used to tell people this also, too. That was a time winos were walking up and down the street with more money than a lot of other people have now. You know, it was, winos had money. I don't know where they got it from, but the mm -hmm. winos had money, man. Mm hmm yeah. So, and, and this, you know, and my, my grandpa used to tell me stories, too, that of famous people that were, were here in Ogden. Yeah. Uh, uh, entertainers were here, but, yeah. uh, but, but it was not, uh, but, but presidents would stop here. They'd shop up at uh, Bueller, 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 Bueller Bingham store. That, that was a, that was a well-known store that, yeah. that famous people would stop and shop yeah. in Ogden there. Well, I met more, I met more entertainers and more famous movie stars when I worked on the railroad over there because I, I, I would be taking off people from Sun Valley and all those places up there and God almighty man you, you see just anybody well you wouldn't, wouldn't surprise you to, to see any movie star coming through that train station what did you do there. for the railroad there? I was a red cap over there and what you did that met mean? everybody. What did that mean? You were a red cap. I mean, well, it's, a, it's the same thing as a porter, but mm -hmm. you, you wore that red cap, and that's what you call the red caps. You met the people, and you put them on the train. You took them off the train. Mm -hmm. So you met everybody that come through there. And I, and boy, I've met some some. What was this big fat guy's name that used to play with Roy Rogers? Andy uh, Devine. I took I took him up to Sun Valley. Mm -hmm. 
twice with his family. He played jingles. Yeah. Well, I, I took him to Sun Valley twice, and there used to be another red cap over there. He was mad at me. His name was John Hayes. He was mad at me because I took him because he paid you real good. Mm-hmm. And I had just bought a 1962 Cadillac Fleetwood. Ooh. And I took him up there in that car, you know. And John Hayes had a Cadillac before then, but... He would always take him. He was looking forward to taking him, but they, he wasn't there that day. And I told him, I said, "Well, I'll take you." And I said, "I got a, I got a pretty nice car." Andy so Devine had that real funny voice. Yeah, yeah. wait for me, Roy. Wait, Roy you know. Yeah, well, <laughs> Roy. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, <laughs> I told him, I said, "Well, Johnny's not here." He was come up there looking for Johnny. I said, "Johnny's not here." I said, "But I got a car. See it sitting right there." I said, "I'll take you up there." He said, "Oh God, is that yours?" I said, "Yeah, that's my car." His great big black Fleetwood, yeah. 62. You still drive Cadillacs? No, I'm driving vans, and I'm driving Chrysler vans. Yeah, yeah. Town and country. How many Cadillacs you own in your life, though? Oh, God, I don't know. I had three or four at one time. <laughs> you know, yeah, I had. I used to work on them, you know. I'd find one, and somebody had it sitting up. I'd buy it and fix it and sell it. Mm. You know, so, I had one I wish I still had, because if I had that car now, it would be worth over $100,000. Why? What was it? It was one of those 1950 little short convertibles. Had the 1950 n- convertible. Had those nice rounded yeah, it had fins. Wind. It had the fins on yeah. the back of them, but it, it was a convertible. Yeah. And I got it from a truck driver. He he left and went up into a, up into Nebraska somewhere, and he got in some trouble up there, and he didn't have the money. And I had the car down there working on it for him, so he told me, said, man, say, I got to have $3,000. If you send me $3,000, he said, you can have that car. He said, uh, I'll send you the title. And I said, $3,000? He said, yeah. So I said, well, I got a check first and see. So I went and I asked a, a lady that was uh, that had a, had a blue book and knew what those cars were worth. And at that time, that car was worth about $6,000. So you, you made out. I sent him $3,000 for it. And like I said, I sold it for twelve when I got rid of it. But if I had it now, it'd be worth $100,000. Yeah. That's why the good Lord don't let you see into the future. Yeah. You know, because people would mess up awful. So you're working, you know? as a, you're working as a red cap in the daytime and, uh, and you're... Uh, well, You're you didn't playing. just work in the daytime. You met those trains sometime way over in the middle of the morning because those trains come in all the time of day and night. When I first started working on the railroad back in 1950, it was still 82 passenger trains a day coming in and out of that station. 82 of them a day. Yeah. What, so where did you find time to play your play your horn? I played at night most of the time. It was always a, a, what, what you call an extra man. Mm-hmm. See, and an extra guy would take my job. If I had a job to play at night, I'd just call an extra man and tell him to take my job that night, and I'd play it. I was still playing all the time. I never have... Stop playing. I played all the time. And then you got a chance to play with some pretty famous people who came through Ogden, too. You name them. Uh, I played with just about all of them. There were anybody, you know. Who did, who was, uh, who did you really admire as uh, uh, musicians? Who, who, did you, who did you like the best? Who did you want? Is there somebody it you... Wasn't, it wasn't no one. It was a lot of them I liked. Well, the first, the guy that started me... At, he even told me about playing a horn was my cousin. His name was Herschel Evans. He was a saxophone player. And Herschel Evans, Herschel Evans wrote the first number one hit for Count Basie, One O'Clock Jump. Herschel Evans was, was a big composer for Count Basie. And that's your cousin? My first cousin. Your first cousin. So. My, dad, my dad had 12 brothers and one sister. Oh. Only one girl 
13 boys and one girl, and that one girl was Herschel Evans' mother. And I was visiting her down in Denton, Texas, when he came to see her, and that's the last time I saw Herschel, because Herschel died when he wasn't but 30 years old. But he told me to do this. See that? A diamond ring. I've been wearing these all my life, just about since that time. Always get you a good, because time was back bad back in the 30s and things like that. Mm-hmm. They say, get you a damn good diamond ring. You always got some money, something that you can fall back on. And he said, and you playing that football and basketball and stuff, he said, man, so start playing the horn. Say, you can do that when you're an old man. Now, hell, he didn't live to get to be an old man. Well, what did he tell me? Did he tell me right? He did. You're an old man and you're playing the horn. All right. right. And you got a diamond. (laughs) (laughs) So, so you, did you come from any kind, uh, your first cousin, musical guy, and any uh, musical family at all other than Not as I know of other than Herschel. And uh, I'm going to tell you something else. Only thing I got to say is the good Lord just helped me, taught me, good Lord helped me more than I could have been helped I guess maybe if I'd have got a chance to go to a music school or something like that but I didn't and my dad left home when I was five years old I didn't see him again till I was a full-grown man and my mother died when I was 14. You're on your own? Not really I was living with my grandparents but they were old and I had to work man I went to work I like I told people I've done some just about any kind of work you could think about doing you know Mm -hmm. and uh so I say the good Lord just blessed me to be able to do what I do with a saxophone. You taught yourself? Because I don't read no music. If I have to figure out, I can figure out a tune if it takes me two or three hours. But I've got some as good of ears as you ever want to see. Now, some of the guys that's playing with me right now, they're always amazed at the fact that I teach them tunes. And they know how to read music, write music, and do every damn thing else. But I've got this up here, and I can tell them when they meet, when they hit a wrong note, playing when we I'm teaching them a tune. I said, no, that's not the way it goes. Yeah, Brad. You know? But you did. You've gotten. Tell them about the the advice you got from Lester Young and what Lester Young means to you, like in terms now, of people that tell, you've met. T- and tell people who Lester Young. Well, is. I was going to let Joe tell. Okay, Joe. Well, Lester Young was a good friend of my my cousin. Okay. And he played with Count Basie's band. He was one famous. One of he his he was one of the fam- most famous tenor saxophone players back in his time, mm-hmm. but he, he they came. Call him, they call him Prez, right? Prez, yeah. Well, uh, 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 Billy Holiday named him Prez, you know, and, and uh, but uh, they came to Salt. He came to Salt Lake City with jazz at the Philharmonic, and I was playing in a place on Second Street down in Salt Lake, and something happened to my reed, and Lester gave me a plastic reed that I still have. You know, mm-hmm. I, I can't use it, but I still have it anyway. Mm-hmm. I can blow with it, but it's too hard to play. See, a reed, reed, you need to have it wet when you play horn, you know. But I still have that reed that Lester gave me. You'd rather use the, the natural. Well, I do, I do use. I, I use a, a cane reed. That's mm-hmm. the one yeah. I use. Mm-hmm. What did Lester say about the way you played? You remember that story you told me about the way Lester said, you know, you play pretty good? Oh, yeah. Good. Uh, well, I, I played a tune that Lester used to play, and I played it note for note like Lester. Lester told me, said, man, you do a damn good job of playing like me. He said, but if I were you, I'd just give me something of my own. He said, man, try to, try to figure the way you play different. And right now, I've had a lot of saxophone players say, man, I don't know who you sound like. You don't sound like nobody you else. You sound so. like Joe McQueen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, that's so. A, that's a, so you, when you started playing, you were 
uh, uh, you've been playing, but you're kind of copying. You like well, the way somebody I, sounds. Yeah, well, I played, Le- I played like Lester and you, some you, other you guys. Copied you, know, yeah. and you copied Lester. But and I stopped playing, copying Lester, and I did just what he told me. I started playing what I feel, and that's the way I play now. But like I say, the good Lord just blessed me, man, to be able to do what I do because I can just hear tunes and play them. And I don't have to read no music to play them. What what amazes these guys that I be playing the tunes and I be playing the right chord changes and things like this, and I haven't studied the chords or nothing like that to know them, but I can do it just for my ear. So you have you've had a chance to play with some of the great guys too, like Charlie Parker, Charlie Parker, Count Basie, Duke Ellington, all those guys, you know, and just you just name them. I played with them. Tell them about the time you met Charlie Parker, and then will you tell them the story about Paul Gonzalez because it's one of my (laughs) favorite stories. Tell them about meeting Charlie, and then tell them about Paul Gonzalez. Well, Charlie Parker came right around the corner over there. Where the place right now, they call it the, what is that they call that thing? Where the people living around there? That's a royal hotel around there now. Yeah, it's a it's a just right around the corner on 25th yeah, and Wall. Yeah, well, that there, thing, yeah. what is that they call it where they have them drunks? Huh? It, it used to be a halfway house. house or something. It's a half, no, it's a something else they call it, something else. It's a low-income apartment oh, building there. or something. Yeah, well, anyway, that's where down in the basement they used to have the American Legion down there. Mm-hmm. And I was playing down there. And Charlie Parker was on the train going to California or coming back, one of the two. And and uh, so he came. Some he asked the guys over the train station. They say, "Yeah, it's a guy playing right across the street." He wanted building. somebody to play. He wanted he, to he ask them if they knew where was somebody playing. So they told him, "Yeah, right across the street there." So he came down. The guy's dead now. A guy named Monroe Malone was on the door, and he was going to charge Parker to come in. <laughs> Char- <laughs> this, a- this guy at and at the time, at, at that time, I mean Charlie Parker. Even people who don't know jazz probably have heard of Charlie the Bird. Yeah, Parker. but this guy didn't know who he was, and he, and the and the, the main thing about it, this guy was from Kansas City. <laughs> that was going to charge, charge going to charge Charlie Parker to come in, you know, but he didn't know who Parker was. But anyway, I saw him, and I almost fell over, and I went to the door and told him to come on in. <laughs> and that's the time Charlie Parker uh, showed me how to play the tune. Now's the time, and I still play it now. It's on my on one of my CDs, and uh, hey, now. So Charlie Parker, uh, he he wrote music, right? Oh, Charlie Parker was a famous musician. Yeah. He knew he knew the notes. He yeah. knew how to write yeah. them. He was yeah. a composer. Yeah, the game. yeah. He he was he was top of the game. He yeah. and yeah. he he had a he had a horrible drug problem too, didn't he? That's what killed him. But you see, that's the reason. Now let me tell you something else about me. Now I'm talking more than I should be talking, I guess. But anyway. In 1993, I had to have a bladder and prostate operation in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And they put one of those epidurals in my back. Mm-hmm. And uh, about the third day, I told the doctor I wanted him to take that thing out of my back. The doctor said, do you have any idea what kind of pain you might endure if they take that out? I said, I don't give a damn. I don't want to come out of here being no damn dope fiend. He said, well, you know, I said, yeah, but I knew a guy. That went in the hospital. That's how Parker first got started on dope. He was in a car wreck, got him in the hospital. And while he was in the hospital, they kept him doped up. So when he got out, he was still looking for that feeling. He never got off of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's what killed him. He died when he was only 34 years old. Yeah. Uh, uh, Did you see, I mean, uh, was he, when when you were met him, was he, was he, First thing he asked me was how how he could get some dope. That's the first thing he wanted to know. Man, mm-hmm. you know, I can get a fix. 
Did you? No. Did you know? (laughs) Yeah, I knew. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to talk about that. But anyway. (laughs) All right. Well, (laughs) you knew. And uh, and, uh, what? Did you hear what Brad told you a few minutes ago? You could get anything you wanted. Anything you wanted on 25th Street, all you need is just the money. I don't care what it was. If you wanted to get some elephant dung, you could get it. Well, let's let's put it this way. Charlie Parker asked you for some elephant dung, and you said, okay, I know where you can get some. (laughs) Anything. Uh, Anything. uh, Dizzy Gillespie? Yeah. I met Dizzy too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dizzy, tell him about Dizzy putting you. Oh on wait, the, who's no? Who's the wait? Who's the guy that you said the uh, second story you wanted him to tell? Paul Gonzalez. Who, Paul now Gonzalez. I don't know that, that name. I don't that know that name. That guy was a tenor saxophone player with Duke Ellington's band. Okay. And I tell people this, and some people look at me like maybe they think maybe I'm lying. But I went to Salt Lake City to pick up some people that were right downstairs over in the jazz, Pat Porter's and Waiters Club, who we were having a jam session. Mm-hmm. When I left out of there, Charlie Paul, Charlie, I mean, uh, Paul Gonzalez just started playing. I went to Salt Lake and came back. Was Count Basie's band playing down there? Or who's, huh? Was Paul playing oh, on his own or no, Count Basie? He was playing with my, with my guys and some other guys sitting in. Okay. Mm-hmm. He started playing. When I came back, Paul was up on the bandstand and I say, God almighty man, that guy I say, he he's playing again. So the one of the guys said, Again, hell he's been playing it all all <laughs> since he got up there. I say, You joking <laughs> But they they got it it's it's, it's written in some places where Charlie uh, uh, Paul Gonzalez played something like twenty eight courses on a jam session with, with Duke Ellington and one of those <laughs> one of those things like that. He played. He's one of those guys who just wouldn't stop yeah. for two hours straight. Yeah. He played Joe man, said they man, had to I, I went pull to Salt Lake. Off. I went to Salt Lake and got some people and came back and he was still playing when the I the same left. song. The same song. That guy had the same song. He had a lot of variations he but, wanted but, to get through. Here, here's the thing about it. about it. That guy that guy had more he had more different kind of uh, things in his head than I can yeah. imagine. I mean, cause you you know, and I mean the thing about it was, it wasn't he wasn't repeating things over and over and mm-hmm. over. That's what I mean. He's playing something different, and man, that's hard to do. Mm-hmm. How See, uh, how many times did you play with Duke Ellington or meet him? Duke Ellington only once. Yeah. Once. Tell me. Yeah. Tell us well, that he story. came. He came to here two or three times, but the time he was downstairs, that's when uh, when uh, Paul Gonzalez was with him, and yeah. he could not get over Jimmy. My drummer. Duke guy, Ellington couldn't. I had a guy named, his name really was Joe DeHorney. We went to school as, as kids. And when I saw him again, he'd changed his name to Jimmy Rainey. Well, he said Ma Rainey named him Jimmy Rainey because he used to be on those carnivals and things. With Ma Rainey? Ma Rainey. Rainey Ma the Rainey. Queen of the famous, yeah, yeah. Ma Rainey. There was a Broadway yeah. show, Ma yeah. Rainey's Black Bottom. Yeah, well, Ma Rainey, Ma Rainey named Jimmy Jimmy. Named him Jimmy Rainey rather than Joe DeHorney. <laughs> you want to tell him the Ray Charles story? Oh, well, man. It's, like I say, man, I, you guys keep me here all night. <laughs> we all, none of us have anywhere to be. <laughs> yeah, well, I do. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, listen, Mr. McQueen has a wife at home, and so do I. Yeah. So, oh, well, we got to wrap it up well, somewhere. Yeah, I, I well, want to hear the strong story. Maybe man. we have to do a part two. Yeah. 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 Well, well listen, listen uh, like I'm saying, uh, this guy was amazing to me that a guy could play that long and play that many courses. Right now, I won't do it because I'd give out of breath now. I'm, I, I'm, I'm getting to the place I can't play that long anymore. But I have, I have played uh, courses. I have played as many as 15 or 20 courses on tunes when I was younger. When I came here from California, that's the reason why I tell people I was not broke. I was in California. 
I was outside, I went outside, got loaded, come back in, got on my horn, started playing, got off the bandstand, walked all down the road. I sat on the lady's lap, got up on top of the bar, went outdoors, come back in, playing my horn <laughs> and everything. And, and the boss man, boy, he was standing up there looking, his eyes all big, and the people was hollering and applauding and everything. So that Monday I told her, I said, he said, I'm going to see you Monday. So I thought to myself, okay. I said, that's all right. I just I haven't been out here long. I, I was playing with a band in Oklahoma when I, they called me to come to California. I said, I can go back down to Oklahoma. If he's going to fire me, I don't give a damn. So I was, you know, he called me. He told me, he said, now, look, you don't have to do that every night. He said, but like on the weekends or something like that, he said, said man, the people just ate that up. Say, you do that again. He said, I'm going to give you more money than I'm giving these other guys. So he was paying me twice as much as he paying them other guys. So I had more money than they had in the first place when we came here. Yeah, That's why I said I wasn't broke worth a damn, you know, and we were making pretty good money in California playing. Oh, down there, I mean, you, when I got up here and these people want to pay you $10 a night, I said, oh, man, and I, I was mad about that, but we weren't making that down in the place uh, where we were playing. But anyway, uh, I, I was making some damn good money down there, but I did that, and the guy was paying me damn good money, so when I got here, and let people know that I could have not, I could have left any time I wanted to, plus the money I, I, I won and the money that the guy gave me and I already had money, so I, I had pretty good money in my pocket when they tell me that I was stranded. You know, that's what pisses me off, you're <laughs> stranded. Of course the people didn't know I had money. Joe, was, Joe? Yeah? It was 1945. Mm-hmm. I think it's time to let it go. <laughs> what? It's time to let it go. It was okay. 1945. Yeah, okay. It's, uh, we love you. Yeah, Ogden you. loves you. Thank you. Ogden is so. glad you're here. I'm glad I'm here, too. It, there's a Joe McQueen Day. The mayor yeah. proclaimed a Joe McQueen no, no, Day. No, 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 no. Let's no. get that oh, straight. Hang on. Okay, no, I'm sorry. Did, the mayor didn't have a damn thing to do with that. It was oh. the governor that did that. The mayor couldn't declare nothing. The governor did. Governor yes. Mike Levitt. Okay. Mike Levitt. The mayor got on the board after that. Uh, well, that makes sense. Yeah, that Ma makes Mike sense. Levitt is the one that did declared Joe McQueen Day back in 2002. That makes sense. I didn't think Godfrey had Francis, that kind of class. Francis yeah. Hawks had something to do with that. Yeah, that's that's good. Uh, uh, Godfrey, let me tell you a story about Godfrey. Okay. He called he called a gig a jig. <laughs> <laughs> He came here to play a jig. <laughs> that, there it is. That, there it is. There, that sums deep. that guy up for me right <laughs> <Yep>. there. <laughs> there it is. Joe, what a pleasure to meet you. Uh, I would uh, tell you now, you're, you're still playing. Uh, how many nights a week are you playing now these days? Not a nights a week. I mean, I don't play regularly every week, but I play the first Friday of every month at the wine cellar. Okay. Then I play the first Thursday of every meet every week, every what? month. Over at the garage, that's over on Beck Street. Over on Beck. First Thursday of every month? Yeah. Because that's close to my house. Yeah, well, we play that first Thursday of every month, and then the first Friday we play, as a matter of fact, we play on Friday night at the wine shop. Here in Ogden. Yeah. Okay. And then, But we play other jobs beside that a lot of times. Since I've been back from down, see, I just got back from Arkansas here on the 4th of this month. I had my wife down there, and we was going to stay two weeks, but they kept us down there for four, four weeks. Cause we got a niece that was a doctor, oh. and they were working on my wife's legs. She okay? So we, she okay? She, yeah, she's good. doing better. Good, good. But uh, they were working on her legs, and they wouldn't let us go after that first two weeks. Mm -hmm. So we were down there for a damn month. 
Uh, and uh, CDs, if people want to hear Joe McQueen on recordings, what's the best place they can get CDs and listen to your music? I usually got them most of the time when I'm playing any place I've got some. I don't. I have never put any out in stores or nothing like that. I just... Can, is there I a really, website, Brad, that people can find no, stuff? No, you know? I, no, I, no. I don't know if Ray Kimber has one or not, but that brings up a good point. Joe mostly just sells them off the bandstand. Is what, yeah. is what he does. So you got to go to the wine cellar. You got to go to the garage. You got to. Well, see I have them. I have them both. As a matter of fact, I have some out in my car, my van too, because sometimes people ask me about mm-hmm. about the CDs, and I usually keep some with me mm-hmm. out in the van. Got to track them down on the streets to buy his CDs. <laughs> well. Uh, that, Joe McQueen, uh, really. We scratched. We barely scratched the surface. I think we we could. You want to do this again sometime? You like talking like this? Is it fun? Well, let me tell you something. <coughs> uh oh, <laughs> you shouldn't have asked. I've, I've done this. I've done this so damn many times now until it's like old hat. Yeah. He can tell you. Yeah. I don't know how many people that has interviewed me. I, I would I would be willing to say I've been interviewed 200 times, and not not just here but other places. You ever get a good meal out of it though? I've gotten more than a good meal out of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, next next time we'll have we'll, next time we'll have wine and women. How's that? No 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 no. You, I don't drink wine. I'm too old damn old for women. So you can forget that. You How know. about a giraffe? I, I can get wine. you a giraffe. <laughs> an elephant dung. How about some elephant dung and some old doodles? <laughs> there we go. Yes. Uh, no, I, I, uh, I usually, I usually, I'm all right with uh, interviews with a lot of people. You know, the only thing, that's the reason why I try to straighten people out when they say something, just like you would tell me about uh, Godfrey. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this guy didn't, he didn't have a damn thing to do with Joe McQueen Day other than he just mentioned it one time. I'm glad you did but, that. But uh, but it was uh, and uh, it was it was a Levitt that that uh, that said the and, and I'm, I have I have the proclamation. As a matter of fact I don't have it. It's at Weber State and yeah, I think I amazing. think they've given me quite a damn honor because they got all of my stuff at Weber State. And they're going to have it right next to Duke Ellington. So, they're starting an you know. archive for mm. Joe McQueen at the university where they're going to archive a lot of his awards and porns mm. and things like that. They got all that stuff up Very in nice. the state. Uh, and I'm glad we got a t- chance to, to have, uh, have you tell people where your, uh, where your jigs are. Where my jigs are. Where my jigs are. <laughs> <laughs> my jigs are. Yeah. At yeah. the garage and at the wine yeah, cellar. My, Joe, that's right. where my jigs are. Yeah. Joe, it's nice to meet you, friend. All right. Good. All right. Now, when I told you guys about yeah. that, about what? that doggone thing here, I'm going to show you something. What thing? He's talking about the gold. He's going to show you what he was showing the guys over over at the uh, gift house. He's got some gold. Uh, gold uh, First discovery of gold. Where does it tell you? Oh, uh, it's a gold. This is a gold coin that says the discovery of gold, North Carolina. It's a commemorative coin, seventeen ninety nine, nineteen dollars and ninety nine cents an ounce, or thirty nine cents an ounce. North Carolina. Yeah. Huh. U.S. history of gold, right there, a gold coin. Thank you, Joe. Thank you.